Chapters One and Two of The Mistress of Shenston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mistress of Shenston by Florence Barclay. One. On the Terrace at Shenston. Three o'clock on a dank afternoon early in November. The wintry sunshine in fitful gleams pierced the grayness of the leaden sky the great trees in shenston park stood gaunt and bare spreading wide arms over the sodden grass all nature seemed waiting the first fall of winter snow which should hide its deadness and decay under a lovely pall of sparkling white beneath which a promise of fresh life to come might gently move and stir and eventually spring forth the mistress of shenston moved slowly up and down the terrace wrapped in her long cloak listening to the soft drip drip of autumn all around noting the silent fall of the last dead leaves the steely grey of the lake beyond the empty flower-garden the deserted lawn the large stone house had a desolate appearance most of the rooms being evidently closed but in one or two cheerful logs blazed casting a ruddy glow upon the window-panes and sending forth a tempting promise of warmth and cosiness within a tiny white toy poodle walked the terrace with his mistress an agitated little bundle of white curls sometimes running round and round her then hurrying on before or dropping behind only to rush on in unexpected haste at the corners almost tripping her up as she turned peter said lady ingleby on one of these occasions i do wish you would behave in a more rational manner either come to heel and follow sedately as a dog of your age should do or trot on in front in the gaily juvenile manner you assume when michael takes you out for a walk but for goodness sake don't be so fidgety and don't run round and round me in this bewildering way or i shall call for william and send you in i only wish michael could see you the little animal looked up at her pathetically through his tumbled curls a soft silky mass which had earned for him his name of shock-headed peter his eyes red-rimmed from the cold wind had that unseeing look often noticeable in a very old dog yet there was in them and in the whole pose of his tiny body an anguish of anxiety which could not have escaped a genuine dog-lover even lady ingleby became partially aware of it she stooped and patted his head poor little peter she said more kindly it is horrid for us both having michael so far away at this tiresome war but he will come home before long and we shall forget all the anxiety and loneliness it will be spring again michael will have you properly clipped and we will go to brighton where you enjoy trotting about and hearing people call you the british lion i verily believe you consider yourself the size of the lions in trafalgar square i cannot imagine why a great big man such as michael is so devoted to a tiny scrap of a dog such as you now if you were a great dane or a mighty st bernard however michael loves us both and we both love michael so we must be nice to each other little peter while he is away myra ingleby smiled drew the folds of her cloak more closely around her and moved on a small white shadow with no wag to its tail followed dejectedly behind and the dead leaves loosing their hold of the sapless branches fluttered to the sodden turf and the soft drip drip of autumn fell all around the door of the lower hall opened a footman bringing a telegram came quickly out his features were set in well-trained impassivity but his eyelids flickered nervously as he handed the silver salver to his mistress 
lady ingleby's lovely face paled to absolute whiteness beneath her large beaver hat but she took up the orange envelope with a steady hand opening it with fingers which did not tremble as she glanced at the signature the colour came back to her cheeks from dr brand she said with an involuntary exclamation of relief and the waiting footman turned and nodded furtively toward the house a maid at a window dropped the blind and ran to tell the anxious household all was well meanwhile lady ingleby read her telegram visiting patient in your neighbourhood can you put me up for the night arriving four thirty derrick brand lady ingleby turned to the footman william she said tell mrs jarvis sir derrick brand is called to this neighbourhood and will stay here to-night they can light a fire at once in the magnolia room and prepare it for him he will be here in an hour send the motor to the station tell grotely we will have tea in my sitting-room as soon as sir derrick arrives send down word to the lodge to mrs o'mara that i shall want her up here this evening oh and by the way mention at once at the lodge that there is no further news from abroad yes my lady said the footman and myra ingleby smiled at the reflection in the lad's voice and face of her own immense relief he turned and hastened to the house peter in a sudden access of misplaced energy barking furiously at his heels lady ingleby moved to the front of the terrace and stood beside one of the stone lions close to an empty vase which in summer had been a brilliant mass of scarlet geraniums her face was glad with expectation somebody to talk to at last she said i had begun to think i should have to brave dear mamma and return to town and sir derrick of all people he wires from victoria so i conclude he sees his patient en route or in the morning how perfectly charming of him to give me a whole evening i wonder how many people would if they knew of it be breaking the tenth commandment concerning me peter you little fiend come here why the footmen and gardeners and postmen do not kick out your few remaining teeth passes me you pretend to be too unwell to eat your dinner and then behave like a frantic hyena because poor innocent william brings me a telegram i shall write and ask michael if i may have you hanged and in high good humour lady ingleby went into the house but outside the dead leaves turned slowly and rustled on the grass while the soft drip drip of autumn fell all around the dying year was almost dead and nature waited for her pall of snow two the forerunner what it is to have somebody to talk to at last and you of all people dear doctor though i still fail to understand how a patient who has brought you down to these parts can wait for your visit until to-morrow morning thus giving a perfectly healthy person such as myself the inestimable privilege of your company at tea dinner and breakfast with delightful tete-a-tetes in between all the world knows your minutes are golden thus lady ingleby as she poured out the doctor's tea and handed it to him derrick brand placed the cup carefully on his corner of the folding tea-table helped himself to thin bread and butter then answered with his most charming smile mine would be a very dismal profession dear lady if it precluded me from ever having a meal or a conversation or from spending a pleasant evening with a perfectly healthy person i find the surest way to live one's life to the full accomplishing the maximum amount of work with the minimum amount of strain is to cultivate the habit of living in the present giving the whole mind to the scene the subject the person of the moment therefore with your leave we will dismiss my patients past and future 
and enjoy to the full this unexpected tete-a-tete myra ingleby looked at her visitor his forty-two years sat lightly on him notwithstanding the streaks of silver in the dark hair just over the temple there was a youthful alertness about the tall athletic figure but the lean brown face clean-shaven and reposeful held a look of quiet strength and power mingled with keen kindliness and ready comprehension which inspired trust and drew forth confidence the burden of a great loneliness seemed lifted from myra's heart do you always put so much salt on your bread and butter she said and how glad i am to be the person of the moment only until this mysterious patient in the neighbourhood demands your attention you ought to be having a complete holiday and i must try to forget that i am talking to the greatest nerve specialist of the day and only realize the pleasure of entertaining so good a friend of michael's and my own otherwise i should be tempted to consult you for i really believe sir derrick for the first time in my life i am becoming neurotic the doctor did not need to look at his hostess his practised eye had already noted the thin cheeks the haunted look the purple shadows beneath the lovely grey eyes for which the dark fringes of black eyelashes were not altogether accountable he leaned forward and looked into the fire if such is really the case he said that you should be aware of it is so excellent a symptom that the condition cannot be serious but i want you to remember lady ingleby that i count all my patients friends also that my friends may consider themselves at liberty at any moment to become my patients so consult me if i can be of any use to you the doctor helped himself to more bread and butter folding it with careful precision lady ingleby held out her hand for his cup grateful that he did not appear to notice the rush of unexpected tears to her eyes she busied herself with the urn until she could control her voice then said with a rather tremulous laugh ah thank you presently if i may i gladly will consult you meanwhile how do you like the scene of the moment do you consider my boudoir improved michael made all these alterations before he went away the new electric lights are a patent arrangement of his own and had you seen his portrait a wonderful likeness isn't it the doctor looked around him appreciatively i have been admiring the room ever since i entered he said it is charming then he raised his eyes to the picture over the mantelpiece the life-sized portrait of a tall bearded man with the high brow of the scholar and thinker the eyes of the mystic the gentle unruffled expression of the saint he appeared old enough to be the father of the woman in whose boudoir his portrait was the central object the artist had painted him in an old norfolk shooting-suit leather leggings hunting-crop in hand seated in a garden chair beside a rustic table everything in the picture was homely old and comfortable the creases in the suit were old friends the ancient tobacco pouch on the table was worn and stained russet brown predominated and the highest light in the painting was the clear blue of those dreamy musing eyes they were bent upon the table where sat in an expectant attitude of adoring attention a white toy poodle the palpable devotion between the big man and the tiny dog the concentrated affection with which they looked at one another were very cleverly depicted the picture might have been called we too also it left an impression of a friendship in which there had been no room for a third the doctor glanced for an instant at the lovely woman on the lounge behind the silver urn and his subconsciousness propounded the question where did she come in 
but the next moment he turned towards the large armchair on his right where a small dejected mass of white curls lay in a huddled heap it was impossible to distinguish between head and tail is this the little dog asked the doctor yes that is peter but in the picture he is smart and properly clipped and feeling better than he does just now peter and michael are devoted to each other and when michael is away peter is left in my charge but i am not fond of small dogs and i really consider peter very much spoilt also i always feel he just tolerates me because i am michael's wife and remains with me because where i am there michael will return but i am quite kind to him for michael's sake only he really is a nasty little dog and too old to be allowed to continue michael always speaks of him as if he were quite too good to live and personally i think it is high time he went where all good dogs go i cannot imagine what is the matter with him now since yesterday afternoon he has refused all his food and been so restless and fidgety he always sleeps on michael's bed and as a rule after i have put him there and closed the door between michael's room and mine i hear no more of peter until he barks to be let out in the morning and my maid takes him downstairs but last night he whined and howled for hours at length i got up found michael's old shooting-jacket the very one in the portrait and laid it on the bed peter crawled into it and cuddled down i folded the sleeves around him and he seemed content but to-day he still refuses to eat i believe he is dyspeptic or has some other complaint such as dogs develop when they are old honestly don't you think a little effective poison in an attractive pill oh hush said the doctor peter may not be asleep lady ingleby laughed my dear sir derrick do you suppose animals understand our conversation indeed i do replied the doctor and more than that they do not require the medium of language their comprehension is telepathic they read our thoughts a nervous rider or driver can terrify a horse dumb creatures will turn away from those who think of them with dislike or aversion whereas a true lover of animals can win them without a spoken word the thought of love and of goodwill reaches them telepathically winning instant trust and response also if we take the trouble to do so we can to a great extent arrive at their ideas in the same way extraordinary exclaimed lady ingleby well i wish you would thought read what is the matter with peter i shall not know how to face michael's home-coming if anything goes wrong with his beloved dog the doctor lay back in his armchair crossed his knees the one over the other rested his elbows on the arms of the chair then let his fingertips meet very exactly instinctively he assumed the attitude in which he usually sat when bending his mind intently on a patient presently he turned and looked steadily at the little white heap curled up in the big armchair the room was very still peter said the doctor suddenly peter sat up at once and peeped at the doctor through his curls poor little peter said the doctor kindly peter moved to the edge of the chair sat very upright and looked eagerly across to where the doctor was sitting then he wagged his tail tapping the chair with quick anxious little taps the first wag i have seen in twenty-four hours remarked lady ingleby but neither derrick brand nor shock-headed peter heeded the remark the anxious eyes of the dog were gazing with an agony of question into the kind keen eyes of the man without moving the doctor spoke yes little peter he said 
Peter's small tufted tail ceased thumping. He sat very still for a moment, then quietly moved back to the middle of the chair, turned round and round three or four times, then lay down dropping his head between his paws with one long shuddering sigh, like a little child which had sobbed itself to sleep. The doctor turned and looked at Lady Ingleby. "'What does that mean?' queried Myra, astonished. "'Little Peter asked a question.' replied sir derrick gravely and i answered it wonderful will you talk this telepathy over with michael when he comes home it would interest him the doctor looked into the fire it is a big subject he said when i can spare the time i am thinking of writing an essay on the mental and spiritual development of animals as revealed in the bible balaam's ass suggested lady ingleby promptly the doctor smiled quite so he said but balaam's ass is neither the only animal in the bible nor the most interesting case have you ever noticed the many instances in which animals immediately obeyed god's commands even when those commands ran counter to their strongest instincts for instance the lion who met the disobedient man of god on the road from bethel the instinct of the beast after slaying the man would have been to maul the body drag it away into his lair and devour it but the divine command was that he should slay but not eat the carcass nor tear the ass the instinct of the ass would have been to flee in terror from the lion but undoubtedly a divine assurance overcame her natural fear and all men who passed by beheld this remarkable sight a lion and an ass standing sentry one on either side of the dead body of the man of god and there they remained until the old prophet from bethel arrived to fetch away the body and bury it extraordinary said lady ingleby so they did and now one comes to think of it there are plenty of similar instances the instinct of the serpent which moses lifted up on a pole would have been to come scriggling down and go about biting the israelites instead of staying up on the pole to be looked at for their healing the doctor smiled quite so he said only we must not quote him as an instance because being made of brass i fear he was devoid of instinct otherwise he would have been an excellent case in point and i believe animals possess far more spiritual life than we suspect do you remember a passage in the psalms which says that the lions seek their meat from god and more striking still in the same psalm we read of the whole brute creation that when god hides his face they are troubled good heavens said the doctor earnestly i wish our spiritual life always answered to these two tests that god's will should be paramount over our strongest instincts and that any cloud between us and the light of his face should cause us instant trouble of soul i like that expression spiritual life said lady ingleby i am sure you mean by it what other people sometimes express so differently did you hear of the duchess of meldrum attending that big evangelistic meeting in the albert hall i really don't know exactly what it was some sort of non-sectarian mission i gather with a preacher over from america and the meetings went on for a fortnight it would never have occurred to me to go to them but the dear old duchess always likes to be in the know and to sample everything besides she holds a proprietary stall so she sailed into the albert hall one afternoon in excellent time and remained throughout the entire proceedings she enjoyed the singing thought the vast listening crowd marvellous 
was moved to tears by the eloquence of the preacher and was leaving the hall more touched than she had been for years and fully intending to return bringing others with her when a smug person hovering about the entrance accosted her with excuse me madam are you a christian the duchess raised her lorgnette in blank amazement and looked him up and down very likely the tears still glistened upon her proud old face anyway this impossible person appears to have considered her a promising case emboldened by her silence he laid his hand upon her arm and repeated his question madam are you a christian then the duchess awoke to the situation with a vengeance my good man she said clearly and deliberately so that all in the lobby could hear i should have thought it would have been perfectly patent to your finely trained perceptions that i am an engaging mixture of jew turk infidel and heathen chinee now if you will kindly stand aside i will pass to my carriage and the duchess sampled no more evangelistic meetings the doctor sighed tactless he said ah the pity of it when fools rush in where angels fear to tread people scream with laughter when the duchess tells it said lady ingleby but then she imitates the unctuous person so exactly and she does not mention the tears i have them from an eye-witness but as i was saying i like your expression spiritual life it really holds a meaning and though one may have to admit one does not possess any or that one does possess it at a low ebb yet one sees the genuine thing in others and it is something to believe in at all events look how peacefully little peter is sleeping you have evidently set his mind at rest that is michael's armchair and therefore peter's now we will send away the tea-things and then may i become a patient End of chapters one and two